Welcome to Blue Jays Happy Hour, episode 48. I'm Nick Ashbourne, joined as always by Andrew Stone. We come to you shortly after the Toronto Blue Jays have confirmed, I think, what people generally suspected. John Schneider is going to be the manager of this team. His contract is for three years. We know that that's not always how it works with managers, but there is a level of stability here after a little bit of a post, you know, playoff failure wobble, I guess, in the sense that it wasn't, didn't get done immediately. But I don't know about you, Stone. We, we did talk about this. I don't think anyone really suspected um, that it wasn't going to be Schneider. And yet there was enough of a window cracked there that people started talking about every 70-year-old dude who'd ever had success before. <laughs> yeah, uh, they sure did. Um, and, it, and it's interesting, you know, in listening to the, the comments that they made at the press conference on Friday, um, there there was it didn't seem like there was as much of a window for the Jays and Schneider as there was for the fans, you know, in terms of like him being in limbo. Uh, it really sounded like they they sort of turned right to, okay, so how do we you know how do we proceed forward? Uh, I don't you know I I've, I've talked about you know they they do love due diligence they they you know they kick the tires on every free agent. Um, that that I I'm sure is an aspect of whatever they did, but it also I mean and uh, you know the it, it serves them well to. To, to you know downplay what where you know where they were gazing elsewhere but uh but but i think there's people and and i completely understand it who are like well maybe they just were kind of they didn't want to do it after that fucking disaster of a game too uh and and probably could have done it then had they wanted to i mean they they really underlined the point that you know we we had we hadn't sat down and talked about you know, bigger picture stuff because he was sort of thrown in the, into the middle of the season into this new job, and it was really more about the day to day and and winning every day. Um, and a, an easy thing for me to articulate right there, which which Ross Atkins just had a ton of trouble doing. Um, weird press conference in a, <laughs> on his end, I felt, uh, but I guess we're used to that sort of stuff. Um, but yeah, no, I didn't, obviously not surprising. Uh, obviously, I mean, I think I think if people have really really strong opinions about you know, which 70-year-old guy should get the job and which baseball manager is going to lead. You know, they kind of lost the plot a little bit. I mean, you know, believe what you want. But, but yeah, I, 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 don't, I, don't, I don't see as much of a connection between, you know, past success, past success uh, and future success in terms of just, like, straight record. You've got to think about, you know, the stuff that they do think about, like how they interact with the team and all these other things that we can't know. So, I, you know, yeah, they, they, they like him, so good on him. He's going to get red and mad. Uh, it was already pretty red. Yeah, I mean, like you said, just because someone's had success in the past, it doesn't mean they're necessarily the fit for the Blue Jays. And what I do like about Schneider's fit with the team is he's kind of has the combination of being uh, a new voice of sorts. Uh, you know, he, they've never had him at the helm at this level before. Like his tenure is obviously very young, and at the same time you get the continuity of him having been in the organization, him having led these guys, him having a pre-existing relationship with a lot of the most important players on this team that goes back to the minor leagues. It's pretty rare to find a candidate who is both a bit of a reboot for you. I mean, it seemed like that's what they got during the regular season when they fired Montoyo, and they did undoubtedly have more success under Schneider. Again, I don't think you want to read too much into that. Like, it's very easy to just look at those records and say Schneider's a much better manager. Um, there's a lot of factors that go into that. But normally, you're either getting one or the other. You're doing the continuity play or you're doing the 
uh, new toy, new voice play. And I do kind of like that the Blue Jays get to do both a little bit. Yeah, I, I, I think it makes a ton of sense. I think another factor that we probably haven't talked about enough or people haven't talked about enough is the fact that, uh, you know, as the bench coach, Schneider was, uh, you know, the, the way that it usually works in the industry is that you, you can't, you, they don't usually let you interview for a lateral move, but they let you interview if you're moving up the chain. And so uh, I think he was a guy, and we didn't see his name a ton out there for other managerial openings, but that's that's a thing that was going to happen if he continued in the bench role, coach role. And so they had to think to themselves, you know, do we want to lose this guy? They obviously really value him highly, obviously. Uh, and so that's a factor too. I mean, you don't want to, you don't want to have him get picked off if he's really somebody that you think this highly of. And, and it's sort of just the, it's a decision that sort of makes itself. Yeah. I, I think that we can agree that it's, you know, as strong a decision as making a managerial choice is, you know, I think we both agree that's not really what drives team success that much. It's very unlikely that the guy who is managing is going to be the, you know, the final piece that is really what gives your team the boost in the playoffs or whatever it is like I, you know, the importance on the position has waned a little bit and our understanding has changed a little bit. So if we agree, the decision is fine. And I think, you know, the contract is fine in the sense that it's a, it's a long enough term that you don't get any of those stupid, like he has to prove himself lame duck type of storylines. It kind of is what it is. We don't know what the money is also doesn't really matter. I think what we're left with that's a little bit odd is just the way all of this was handled because it does seem like, and again, you know, we find ourselves talking about PR and communication and uh, it's a thing that comes up with this team a lot, but it feels like they sort of tried to create the illusion of looking elsewhere. Like, I don't think that <laughs> there was any need to do that. Like, I, I think that if you really believe in Schneider and I think that they do, it would have like, I don't know, like we did talk about the idea of like, isn't it, it would be weird to, you know, stand behind this guy right after he had a game where he made some probably poor decisions that played a role in a, you know, historic collapse. The players also played a pretty big role in that. Um, would it be weird, weird to do that? And like, yes, but also that's like a one day news cycle. Like if you do that and you say, you know what, like this was, a tough game and a lot of horrible things go into um, a loss like this. It's so improbable. And we really like the job Schneider did anyway. And um, we just see him as a future leader of the team. You might've gotten one day of sort of snide news cycle of like, Oh, these guys um, are whatever. They're just, they're going to stand by and this guy has just been such a failure in the playoff. Blah, blah, blah. But like you get a couple of, you know, hack newspaper columns and then you're done with it. And instead we had this just period, and again, not an incredibly long period of time, but a period of time of this sort of like weird uncertainty and like, what are we doing here? And is the window open? Is it not open? And everyone really believes it's going to be Schneider, but now you're giving us a reason to believe it won't be. It, I feel like I would rather just sort of take the hit in the moment than deal with all this wishy-washy stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, a lot of A lot of that is a bit odd. And, you know, going back to our point about you know, the manager doesn't necessarily, uh, you know, drive winning or, or, you know, we, the, you know, realizing what the manager's role really is in the modern game. Uh, it's not like nobody is leading the organization. It's not like nobody's making these choices. They're just coming from higher than the manager. And then you kind of see the, 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 the fumbles above him. And you're like, man, fuck, maybe, maybe, maybe Schneider should have a little more free reign, you know, given some of the stuff we, you know, the, the, the collaborative process has, uh, has produced. And also I think that, yeah, you're absolutely right. It would have been, it, it would have been, 
uh, one news cycle hit. They also could have done it in late September. Uh, the Phillies didn't have to have a big meeting, uh, you know, wait until after the season's over with Rob Thompson. They, they, they extended him before the playoff run started. Um, that, that was a route that was open to them. That was possible. And, and Thompson, I don't think is, you know, necessarily, I, I don't know enough about the, you know, his history with Philadelphia, but I don't know that he was necessarily like the obvious manager in waiting. I think there were a lot of names that were out there when the Phillies fired, uh, fired the manager and, and, uh, that, uh, the, the Jays absolutely could have done that as well. Uh, they would have taken a similar hit, you know, oh, you just extended the guy who didn't, who was, you know, pulling the strings on that game, but also, it's weird. I, I mean, whoever wants to revisit that game, but but after the uh, uh, after the Santana home run, it was still like a ninety six percent win probability or something stupid like that. Like it it, it, it really it really uh, it really went uh, went haywire elsewhere down the line. Which again, we don't need to think any more about it. But it is it, the, the, that's just wild. But yes, uh, I, I think that. You know, there were definitely ways to do it, and it did, it did create, you know, we wouldn't be talking about this, not that, you know, our input matters or, our, you know, but the, the conversation wouldn't be there, and there wouldn't be people babbling on, on a podcast like, yeah, what is, what is Ross doing sometimes? Yeah, I mean, like, I went on the radio at some point, uh, I forget what the day was. And, you know, there was questions about Terry Francona and like his connection to the Blue Jays through his time with Cleveland and like how good a fit was that. And again, I'm not even saying that's a bad question necessarily because they opened the door for that. But in my mind, I was thinking, what are we really talking about here? Like, again, it's one of those things where, you know, and I'm, we're not like insiders per se, but people who have any kind of feeling about, what's going on on this team. Like, I just don't think anyone genuinely believed any of that was in the cards. So then there was just kind of like a kabuki theater around it. And I get that it doesn't really matter. Like the victims are us having conversations that we think might be a waste of time, I guess. So <laughs> I mean, like ultimately yeah. <laughs> uh, it's, it's a victimless crime, I guess, but it, it just, I don't know. It was, a, it was a weird run around there. And like, I, because I just don't really genuinely believe there was any kind of search or, uh, looking for other candidates or any of that stuff. Maybe there was. Maybe there's someone they really liked and they reach out to and they and they said no, and that's where we're at. But I I don't catch any whiff of that. Yeah, I, I think the Francona stuff sort of folds into that a little bit too, because you know the the um, you know the Guardians were uh, were just eliminated, or, or you know the, the, there there was time for them to to try to poach somebody if that's really what they wanted to do, or if the but. But yeah, like if there was a genuine search, it, it must have been half-assed. It couldn't have not been half-assed. They didn't. They, there was, you know, you always hear reports of this guy's flying into town to be interviewed and all that stuff. Like, it, it, you know, it is. It, it was. It was such a such a non-story. Also, the Francona thing. Yeah, I mean, you're right that nobody who is really plugged in takes any of this stuff seriously. It's been seven years. These guys have been here for seven years. Like, you know, yeah, Francona's there, but I mean, we 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 can probably give it a rest with the. With the uh, you know eyeing up Cleveland, they've had ample opportunity to turn themselves into like just hiring all the all their former you know employees in Cleveland. Like it's that's not how it works. That's not how the industry works. That's not how they work. Um, you know they're all <laughs> these guys are all connected. You know generally in other ways. You know somebody was you know I I was looking back at. Because uh, Schneider mentioned Dick Scott, who was the farm director before Tony LaCava, who was like one of the Richardi guys, and you know, you you just uh, Dana, Dana Brown came over, and he's now back with Anthopolis in, in Atlanta, and and I don't know, there's there's definitely like a circuit of uh, of guys who end up 
with connections all across the game. It's just they're they're well networked, and and the idea that it that, that people really hone in on this one place, I think, because you know, there Rogers has earned the the right, <laughs> earned the the complaint about you know, oh, they're trying to make you know do things on the cheap and try to be like Cleveland. But I think a lot of people got hung up for a very long time, and maybe understandably at first, even though I think people were very unfair to uh, to the guys, to the guys coming in for understandable reasons. But but the idea that that they're you know they're trying to remake this this Blue Jays team into the Cleveland Guardians in in a way that they can just you know steal TV money and not pay players and mm-hmm. and and kind of not do right by all the money that fans pour into the coffers of the Blue Jays. If they wanted to do that, they could have stayed in Cleveland and yeah. just been the Cleveland Guardians in <laughs> Cleveland, like. Yes. Uh, um, and yeah, I mean, you know, Francisco Lindor, I remember that was such a big deal when he was available and it was like, oh, the Blue Jays were going to have to be the front of the line of that. And I'm not saying that that wouldn't have necessarily made sense for him, them. And like, he's an amazing player and there was a way to think of that fit and that would have Bo at second base now. And a lot of people would be happy about that. But there was just like, oh, because it's Cleveland, we're adding this level of seriousness to it. When in reality, you know, they do more business with the athletics and the Marlins. It seems they're there. That's where they like to do business, and that's yeah. where they like to get players. So, which is which is a thing I think because I mean maybe because the, like so many front and Atkins will say that you know the, so many front offices think the same way that they end up valuing players the same way, and it's probably easier to do business with front offices who do think a little bit differently than you do because you just have those those misalignments that allow you to, to like oh well, I value this guy way more than they do so so I think that's sort of what uh, what greases the trades sometimes yeah I mean you don't see them trading with Ben Sherrington all the time right um, just despite the fact that that comes up a lot yeah, facts, and, I believe on a recent episode of this very podcast. Yeah, there you go. I, uh, to be fair, I don't think Sherrington was my angle in. I no. think it was uh, the fit of Reynolds. But still, no, it, and that's a team that you'd think that they do a lot of business with because of just the nature of the Pirates never, ever being good and always being sellers and the Blue Jays being in their competitive window right now. I mean, the Pirates would have to have some talent that is worthy of acquiring. I mean, Reynolds, yes. Uh, A couple of relievers, yes. Which, you know, that's why it makes sense right now. But generally, it's like, oh, there's a connection there. Oh, their roster is garbage. Yeah, it's, it's not fun. Um, so we can move on from John Schneider. It is funny because it is, it is such a big story in the sense, like, you know, managerial decisions are, we're conditioned to believe it's a huge deal. Uh, at the same time, the ultimate outcome is kind of what we expected. And I think what most people are fine with, I've definitely seen some tweets out there about people feeling disgruntled about this, but, uh, and I, I understand it to an extent, but I just think at the end of the day, I'd be shocked if people are complaining about Schneider's managing in sort of two years, you know, I think it's, it'll take care of itself. And so the I mean, next... they'd, be, they'd be complaining about whoever's managing. I think a lot of yes, right. highly accurate. The next kind of big, I don't know how big, the newsy thing to come out since we last talked was the Lourdes Gurriel Jr. undergoing wrist surgery which is interesting just because of the dots that people want to connect in terms of his lack of power during the season and his wrist injury. And there's almost certainly something to that, but I do think it's a bit of a complicated story as well, because one, you know, it's just, it's really hard for us to quantify how much does physical ailment X affect performance metric Y, but also um, we don't have a great, sense of the timing like in shy davidi's right. store at sportsnet he said he missed a game with soreness on september 2nd 
well, was that kind of acute and near the beginning of him having this wrist issue? Or was that sort of like the straw that broke the camel's back and he'd been sore for a long time and he just had to take a seat at that point? Because those are two very different stories in terms of how his season was affected. Yeah, and I don't have it in front of me, but I think that, you know, he, he was already a slap hitter by that point. Um, and I think it was, a, they said it was a hamate procedure, which is, you know, handish. It's on the, oh God, I don't want to use medical terminology because I will fuck it up. But it, it's, uh, but it, it's a, it, it, you don't hear about it maybe as much lately. I don't know why, but it's a, a common injury. Uh, I don't, the broken hamate like happens with the knob of the bat sometimes. I think Eric Dames had it maybe at one point, which kind of, which, uh, which kind of railroaded him a bit, or or maybe Anthony Alford broke his handmate really early in his. Uh, that sounds uh, vaguely familiar. Yeah, um, and 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 I don't know. Generally, it's thought that it does it does sap guys power because you know it just makes it uncomfortable to hold the bat. And, uh, you know, it, it. But you're right that the timing we don't understand, and and you know it would it would make sense if. You know the changes that we saw to Guriel's, you know, to approach and, and and you know just shooting it the other way. If that was reactive to an issue that was ongoing and he was just playing through, but also it it, it all it had you know it looked like it was just something he could do well, or he, and he did for a little while there for sure. Uh, and and it's just a different way to use his his skill set, which is maybe not as productive as uh, uh, <laughs> as the higher strikeout, more power kind of thing, but. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's interesting. And it's, it's, it's interesting that they, that they would just say, no, they, they don't think that it had anything to do with this, with, with the lack of power, which could be, could be true. Uh, but, but it does sort of, I don't know. I don't know. They didn't, I don't know if they had to say anything. I guess maybe if somebody asked, uh, but I don't know. We don't, we shouldn't, we shouldn't have to be talking about this. Like, are they obfuscating what is really going on? You just say, uh, yeah, wrist is fucked up and got a procedure on it. Yeah, and all you know, his power, his isolated slugging has declined every year since 2019 as well, right? Like, and and his strikeout rate. Like, this was an evolution that's been going on with him for some time. Is that he has been moving to be more of a contact hitter after being more of kind of a raw slugger when he came up his first couple of years, and this season we just saw was the most extreme version of that, and it. It's just so hard to know to what degree this wrist issue played a role. I wouldn't be shocked if it did. You know, it probably did to some degree, but I do think it's worth being cautious about saying, okay, well, this is the bit of news. Oh, that uh, ties up in a bow, that thing that I was a little bit confused about. Explanation offered, explanation accepted, and just move on. Like there, you know, there's more going on with Guriel and the way he's changing as a hitter in a in a fashion that's, you know, like you said, arguably unproductive and not the best use of uh, his skills or not the best way that he can produce. And he needs to be a really good offensive player uh, to be valuable. Like he sure, really does. Sure does. Sure does. I mean, being a little bit more like his brother couldn't, couldn't hurt. Uh, it certainly works uh, for, for, for Yuli. But, um, but yeah, an- another thing that just strikes me that, that just, uh, just crossed my mind is, I don't know if you're, if, if you're going to go through, if you're going to go through all winter dangling Guriel and trade him, maybe that's, you know, non tenable anymore because of the wrist injury. Uh, and you're going to be telling teams, no, we, we don't think it had anything to do with the power um, because of, you know, X, Y, and Z with his, you know, evolution as a hitter. Uh, maybe, maybe it does make sense to, to have that sort of affirmed in public and, and, and go ahead and say that. Um, 
but yeah, I don't, I know everybody's, you know, Gurriel has been the obvious trade piece for a very long time and the whole contract situation where he doesn't get that extra year of arbitration uh, has really changed it. And I, I don't, you know, we've talked about this, you know, more than enough times, but, uh, but that sort of complicates it as well. I don't know if we had thought that he was going to be a guy who was going to be gone just because there just isn't a ton of value to come back, but it is a, you know, it is a, a piece that could be moved, certainly, because, uh, like you say, you know, you need, you need, uh, <laughs> you could, you could get a defensive upgrade out there. Um, but yeah, that maybe just makes the value that you're going to get if you do move him even less. And maybe you still think about doing it because maybe you need to move on. Yeah, it it really probably is going to be more about moving on and making way than getting value. But it it is a good point, and it's something that I hadn't really thought about is that you know, you're know you already in a bit of a bind in terms of trying to extract value from this player if that's the direction you want to go, and you just got in a little bit more of a bind uh, if he's you know undergoing wrist surgery and there's some kind of concern if there'll be a good recovery or lingering issues. And you know there probably won't be, but when you're buying a player uh, or trading for a player, rather, you, you don't really want to have anything that is putting up even kind of a yellow flag there. Like you'd rather it's just all systems go and uh, so whoever would potentially acquire Lourdes Gurriel Jr. does have to think about what is going on with the wrist. Uh, yeah, and uh, though I will say, I mean, he's a he's kind of a buy-low candidate, like, but but he could be a guy. Uh, one, he's fun. You know, if you're the Pirates or if you're another dog shit team that doesn't expect to be good, you could you could do a lot worse than having you know running that guy out you know with your fans. He's going to be he's going to be liked wherever he goes. He's a fun guy, uh, and a guy that, that you know with the with what's left on his deal, you know he's not going to ideally he's not going to get the opportunities in, in in Toronto to to be the guy that we thought he was going to be. Um, but he's like a guy who you know if he bounces back has a great first half, great you know great going into the trade deadline. You know, you could you could definitely make a profit on Guriel by giving him an opportunities as like a second division player. You know, start run him out there every day. You know, let a, let him loose uh, if he stays healthy. Uh, like he could, he's certainly a usable guy for for teams that you know would pull back maybe a little something. But yeah, it's uh, it, it's tough. The risk makes it tougher. I feel like if if a deal with him ends up getting done it might make more sense for him to come back and participate in spring training and maybe play a couple, a game or two. And also closer to the season, you're more sure you have a better sense of which of your guys are healthy as well. So if, you know, if you trade him in the off season, then you get a couple of spring training injuries. You're like, damn, we wish we had Gurriel around. Yeah. Uh, trading closer to the season might make a little bit more sense if he's recovered physically and you have a better sense of your depth chart as well. Yeah, especially since he's not going to be the centerpiece of anything. It's, he's, not, he's not the central figure of your off season. No, probably not. Uh, another little piece of news was the Gold Glove finalists were released, and there was a bigger Blue Jays presence than I expected. Uh, we had five. Whit Merrifield, uh, I mean, you know, barely a Blue Jay, but whatever, at the utility spot. Jackie Bradley Jr., right field, I guess also kind of barely a Blue Jay. Uh, and then you got the guys on the corners, Vladdy and Matt Chapman, and then Jose Barrios. What were your kind of thoughts when these names sort of popped up on your screen? Uh, it was like, oh, hey, gold gloves. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty much the extent of it. Um, it it's, you know, um, I, there, there's, I think, well, I guess what, what it strikes me 
uh, is that the bar is kind of low for defense. I mean, uh, you know, we, people really like to, to harp on it. People really like to talk about, you know, defense fundamentals, all that stuff. And I wrote this the other day, but you can, you know, you can go back decades and decades and decades and, you know, the, you know, kids are having too much fun. These guys don't play fundamentals, say the, the older generation, like forever. Um, but it does, it does seem like, you know, I'm surprised there aren't, aren't better, you know, there are two better right fielders in, in the American League than Jackie Bradley Jr., a guy who, you know, got waved halfway through the season or wherever it was. Uh, at Merrifield, I like that they have a, the utility spot. I think the, you know, Chapman, obviously, uh, I don't know if the metrics, you know, I don't know if he's going to win, but like the, the metrics maybe didn't like him that much, but, you know, nothing but good to say about Chapman or his defense. Uh, Vladdy, you know, I hope wins. I mean, that's, uh, that would be a fun thing. He's, uh, he's done really well at first base and Barrios can field his position. That is one of the, you know, <laughs> defense doesn't slump, I guess. Yeah, I, I mean, the pitcher thing is tough. We just don't really have a lot of useful metrics for that. And, you know, we're not watching every single start or enough. Of, like, you told me Jose Barrios is a good fielder. I can agree with that. You tell me he's the best fielder in the American League. All I can say is sure, right? Like, I, yeah. I'm seeing the other starters X number of times per year. And I don't have any numbers to look at. A couple of things did strike me when I first looked at this. You know, Whit Merrifield at Utility, why does Utility exist as a category? That seems to, um, I don't know. Again, it's not something to get worked <laughs> up about because ultimately who cares? But, like, the concept of a golden glove is, is it not like a specific, I don't know. I didn't, I didn't like it personally. Uh, his, most of his metrics are actually not great either, so it's a little bit weird to see him there. And then Jackie Bradley Jr., I just didn't realize he played as much as he played, to be honest. I was like, I saw, I was like, really? Did he play enough to do that? And then I look up and he was in 130 games this year. So, wow. uh, fair enough. Uh, 132 games for Jackie Bradley Jr. So he played, and his metrics are actually fantastic. I think it'd be cool if he won. It's nice to see players who are sort of, you know, specialists or at the end of their career, whatever it is, guys who you feel like that would be such a feather in their cap. Like if Vladi wins, a gold glove this year. I'm sure that he'll take pride in that, especially given the journey he's been on changing positions and all that jazz. I'm not trying to diminish that. It's really interesting, but it's not going to be at the end of his career what he remembers. You know what I mean? It's not going to be like one of my great greatest achievements. I mean, his career would have to go pretty badly, I think, <laughs> if the gold glove that he would win potentially in 2022 would be like, oh, well, that's where things really got good for me. Like That's what, that's what I'm going to talk <laughs> to my grandkids about. Going on the Hall of Fame plaque. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't, I don't see it. I mean, it's funny. The metrics don't really like Vladdy that much either. DRS does. The others don't. Uh, second base is tough. I'm not second base. First base is a bit tricky. There's just not a lot of good ones out there, to be honest. I think the fact that he's out there making, you know, athletic, acrobatic plays, uh, you know, people that draws people's eyes, and it is a bit of a cool story too with him moving across, but. Also, you could say it's more of a story of him failing at a harder position. It, it's, I think it, it yeah. just makes me think about the alternate history where at some point he had gotten a chance to play third base um, when his conditioning was better and he was sort of more ready to do that physically and probably to some extent mentally at the major league level. Like It is a bit of a shame that it panned out the way it did because in theory, if he had been able to even sort of remotely hold his own there, it would have opened up a lot of team building possibilities for the Blue Jays. And one thing it probably would have done would have helped them get that first, uh, that left-handed 
big slugger. You know what I mean? The guy who's always been missing in this iteration of the Blue Jays. First base is one of the positions where it's easiest to find that guy. Yeah, absolutely. Especially now, you know, everybody rotates through the, the DH. So that, you know, it used to be you could do that with the DH as well. And now, now they're a little bit smarter with their, uh, with their load management. Yeah. And yeah, Chapman, hard to take any umbrage with that. It might be more of a reputation one this time. Like even he expressed yeah. in the season that it just wasn't his best year defensively and just hadn't made some of the plays he would normally pl- do. Like he, had a really good season defensively. Like, you know, the metrics are all positive, if not by a huge margin. And we saw some plays he could make, but it's not his best year. And for him, you know, it's funny. I say for Vladdy, it wouldn't really matter for him. It probably does matter because the amount the just sheer quantity of gold gloves, platinum gloves, whatever he wins, that will be a big part of his sort of personal legacy. So if he wins one this year, even if it's not his best year, that is kind of meaningful in a sense. And, just because by the time he's done, he could have so many, and that number is going to be, you know, when he retires someday, it'll be like Matt Chapman, eight-time Gold Glove winner or whatever. Right. Also, I wonder, I don't know how much Gold Gloves affect uh, arbitration salaries, but that definitely feels like one of those things, you know, you get a bump if you get the MVP, you get, you know, obviously, but like other things will factor in as well. Um, But yeah, that, 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 that strikes me as something that might be, uh, one of those antiquated uh, metrics that they use to, uh, to to determine arbitration salaries. So you know maybe maybe Jays fans want to root against Vlad having a getting the gold glove in that sense. Just keep well, his, that's keep a pretty ghoulish down. way to think about it. <laughs> I don't want this player I cheer for every day to be happy, succeed, win an award, and get more money. <laughs> I, that's the type of fan I am. Yeah. Uh, also, if you win a gold <laughs> glove, you might be in line for some kind of really hokey commercial like i feel like sometimes you get ads sort of centered around i don't know i don't i'm not going to make up a pun or a fake fake company here but it does seem like sometimes you if you win some kind of major award you can make a shitty radio ad around that um so you know i hope jackie bradley jr is able to do that or something like that yeah and a guy you know what i don't know i'm fine bring back jbj he was uh he can't hit but but a useful uh a useful guy could have used him in, in a certain game I can think of. We have a bit of an active chat today. I'm not going to get to all of it because I'm catching up. But as Polite Nate points out, it's sort of what we were getting at. If Vladdy couldn't, could have handled third base, Telez is probably still a Blue Jay. Uh, and that you know that's a bit of a piece on the board that got away from them because he's a very useful left-handed hitter. He's not a superstar by any means, but we know what Trevor Richards is, and that is certainly not a superstar. And I I was pretty for the trade when that was made. It seemed like kind of a win win. Like it, the Blue Jays didn't really need Vladdy. And they, they really need, they really needed a reliever at that point. I mean, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. They were not. They didn't need Vladdy. They very much needed Vladdy. Yes. They didn't need Rowdy. Um, just the way the DH was being used and Vladdy at first base. And like you said, they were in desperate need. You know, as bad as people think the 2022 uh, bullpen was for a lot of the time, like people need to think back to kind of May 2021, uh, yeah. June 2021. Like that was a different level of ineptitude. <laughs> Rafael Dolis and company. He was the only good one and he was pitching hurt and was still terrible. Yeah, yeah. The Pi Amps and Anthony Castro and all that jazz. Yeah, Not good. Not a fun time. Before we get out of here, I do want to at least touch on the Shohei Otani pipe dream because <laughs> it, you know, again, we talked earlier in this podcast about things opening the door for discourse and Otani has opened the door a little bit, 
by expressing some dissatisfaction with how the Angels' season went. Again, it's the comments are fairly benign. I don't think anyone thinks Otani's a firebrand type of guy who's trying to get a bunch of headlines or whatever it is. Um, it it is just funny to me that Otani is like literally all the things the Blue Jays need in one player, like a starter, <laughs> velocity, and huge left-handed bat. Like it, it is. He's perfectly crafted. Maybe he's more of a corner outfielder than a center fielder. So if you want to be picky about that. I mean, he's, got, uh, he's got some wheels, though. He could do it. I think he, he could, could do, do it. it, yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's not, the current options. not a lot that he can't do. It's. I mean, you wrote about it, and I think you kind of summed it up. Well, like, it's an option that's on the table. The Angels have to think of trading him at this point with if it seems like they're not going to retain him on a huge contract. And maybe, maybe they will. Maybe they'll just do a trout deal with him and keep him there for life. I kind of hope not just for his sake and for baseball's sake, just the way that organization has been trending. But the Blue Jays, again, it's the one situation where they'd have to do their due diligence. They would have to check in. They would have to have a conversation. It's just so hard for me to believe that they are going to go all in on a one-year rental and that they would have the best offer because there's so many teams that would be in for, you know, every reason under the sun, but he's, you know, also such a draw even beyond the baseball stuff. Like there's just, there's no reason not to be an Otani for virtually any team. And the Blue Jays have shown they will get rental players. They'll get one year players for sure, or they will push some chips in and trade good prospects to get, uh, to get someone like they did with Barrios, but they won't do them in the same thing. Like the one year players they've gotten have generally been, mid-market, low-market rentals. And if they are going to make that big splash, make that big push, it's always for guys with terms. So we've just never seen anything like this from them, and I just don't think there's a reason to expect that to start now. Yeah, I don't I don't either. Also, and as I wrote, you know, I, I mean, I don't – I'm not listening. I'm following the stupid angels very much, to be honest with you, you know. Um, but, like, like the, the templates for it, uh, like the Mookie Betts deal is what I wrote, I wrote about, which, you know, had a gigantic financial component because David Price went the other way and then Boston sent a bunch of cash, but they got a ton of money off their books. They got 27 from Betts and half of Price's contract, which was like $48 million. Uh, like 48 was half. So they got like $75 million off their books, uh, which was like an enormous part of, you know, why they made that trade. Which you know, you, you don't, you, you don't, if you're an Angels fan, you certain, certainly don't want that to be it but also i don't know if you can get that Rendon deal off your books uh it certainly makes you a little more agile for going forward to try to build a team around trout if you have you know a lot more money open to spend uh because i think Rendon's got like 150 million dollars left and and you know i like if like if i was perry and i would be like i would be like you are Otani. this is how you get them you take this fucking deal off our hands or some, you know, or some significant portion of it. I, you know, that would look, that would reduce the prospect hall, but that, you know, that isn't necessarily how uh, organizations think these days. And uh, you'd still get something pretty good based on, you know, what we saw in the Betts deal, which is a player who is just not Otani. So that that, uh, and that probably almost certainly, you know, it, that doesn't feel like a thing that the Toronto Blue Jays would do and that they have ever done. Uh, you know, just taking sunk cost and essentially, you know, paying, you know, what they could, you know, what that, what it would require 
to get a guy like that. Like they wouldn't have done that bet steal. I don't think they, they you, know. Uh, you know, Price had no. some utility and, 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 but, but there was a lot of questions about him at that point. Uh, and you know, I think it, that looked like it was over, but, but so, you know, there are, but there are teams that can and, and could do that uh, a little more ably. I mean, Rogers obviously could do it, uh, but it's just a very un Blue Jays kind of uh, thing to do when they've, they've, done, they've surprised us in the past over the past few years, especially, you know, the Rio deal wasn't something the Blue Jays would have ever done. The Springer deal was, coming, was, was very different. The Barrios trade was, was way different than what we had seen from this front office before. Uh, wouldn't rule it out. It doesn't necessarily have to be that way. You know, we saw Juan Soto get traded, um, you know, for just a haul of, of like, top-end talent. Uh, we saw Scherzer and, uh, and Trey Turner get traded uh, for a haul of top-end talent, which is kind of a, the other one that I wrote about and looked at as a similar deal just because of, you know, it's it's a half a year of Scherzer, a year and a half of Turner. And so that is like two years worth of value, which Otani being playing on both sides of the ball is kind of two years worth of value every year. Um, and, yeah, the prices are pretty, pretty fucking exorbitant. Um, and it's, you know. You can, I've seen people be like, yeah, throw Bo in there, and then everybody's trying to run him out of town. I think he'll be fine once they move him to second base. I don't know if they're ever going to do it. Um, but also, I think he's really good. You know, I'm not turning my nose up at a four or five win shortstop. But, uh, but yeah, it, there is a path, I believe, theoretically, for the Blue Jays to make a deal like that. I just don't see how it's one that they'll actually ever you know, take. Yeah, it just it exists outside the realm of our understanding of how they operate. Like, yeah. like you said, it, you can put the pieces together. It is theoretically possible. Um, taking Rendon's contract as a way to facilitate it, it makes sense for a team, but I just I don't think that team's the Blue Jays. On the note of Rendon, I did not realize how back loaded this contract was. <laughs> I don't uh, know if he has no trade clauses either, so maybe maybe that's a moot point, but. Uh... But just, I mean, this is just for from a baseball interest perspective, yeah. 38.571 million a year for the next four years, and he'll be 33 to 36 during that time, and he's played 105 games in the last two years with one total war. Yeah. Yikes. That's, yeah. that's as bad as it gets. I, I mean, that's, I mean, that's why if I'm the Angels, I'm saying <laughs> you take this off our hands and and we could talk about Otani. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. Like, I don't know, I, I don't know who. Some, I don't know if teams would even do that. I mean, yeah, I don't know if there's a team like the like the Dodgers have operated like that in the past at times. Uh, maybe because they've had another playoff disappointment, they're kind of like, screw it, let's just let's go get Otani. Um, but beyond that, like it, it is, yeah, even that's if, an amount of money that's tough to. Yeah, spell even in. if you did half the Rendon, like you're, it's like you're essentially paying Otani a hundred million dollars. You're paying a hundred million dollars for one year of Otani plus whatever else you're giving up, which uh, <laughs> does not does not seem like a uh, a thing. Even the richest baseball teams will do, though the bets the bets deal. Did, <laughs> I mean, they made they made it work. Um, they made it work. But uh, and Mets have an owner who might be into something like that. Uh, it would but, really be fun to see Otani yeah. in literally any other place. Mike Trout as well, but that's you know he's. It's that, like we've that, given that up on that dream. Stuff. Like yeah. we've already had. Like Trout was actually fantastic this year. People probably yeah. underrate how good Trout still is, um, just due to the injury concerns. But our kind of dreams as a collective baseball fandom or whatever for Trout have sort of withered on the vine because the true I am Mickey Mantle, you know, historically 
best player of all time type trout, uh, I think has probably passed us by at this point. So we've already we've already lost with trout, but for Otani, there's still time. Would be very fun. I mean, yeah, you don't even want to imagine because it's just it's, it's it's too glorious to think of him running around in center field at the Rogers Center. <laughs> All right, we will end on that note. Uh, thank you, everyone, for tuning in live. Whoever is listening afterwards, we have a little bit of off-season uncertainty, as with many uh, you know, baseball teams right now in terms of schedule and what's going to happen for our next episodes. But we will communicate with you uh, when we know what's going on.